You know this is a special week, don't you? Some of you are like super confused. That concerns me. You know what this, you know, you know what happens this week, don't you? It's St. Patrick's Day. Come on, everybody. The Irish rugby team's playing right now. I'm trying not to be distracted. If they beat Scotland today, which they are winning, by the way, we play England on St. Patrick's Day weekend to win the championship. I fully expect all of you to be praying this week. (laughs) Hey, we've been in a a little series that we've been uh, kind of diving into the book of uh, Ephesians, and uh, the Lord uh, interrupted our service last week, and it was just fun to be in church last week, huh? And uh, and, uh, But we did kind of get to kind of where, uh, you know, kind of some things that the Lord wanted us to kind of unpack as we were going through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And if you remember last week, we, we kind of kicked off the series by talking about letter writing, which we discovered that most of us have not written letters in a long time. Some of you, my wife, she'll remain nameless, uh, have written text messages that are the length of letters, <laughs> but you haven't written a letter recently, right? And we discovered that this man, there's a lot that went into this letter that Paul was writing, and there was a a theme, and and obviously in five weeks we can't unpack the entire letter, but we were unpacking uh, kind of some of the big themes, some of the thoughts that Paul really wanted these uh, Christians in Ephesus to understand. In fact, he wrote this letter uh, so that it would be read aloud in in a gathering just like this from start to finish, because he wanted them to understand a truth or a number of truths that God was wanting them to understand and to live out. Now, of course, we don't tend to read the Bible that way. We tend to read bits and pieces of the Bible, but we're trying to kind of guide our way through this letter so that we can understand a little bit more holistically what it is that Paul was wanting his uh, readers to understand, what he wants us to understand. And the first thing that we discovered last week was that, um, that you and I have been not only given a new status in Jesus, doesn't it feel good to have status? Any of you, any of you, any of you kind of air mile travelers, you know, I know I've got some friends that like they've got to fly a certain number of miles and they got to do it at a certain time because they want to achieve some sort of status, right? Uh, well, the good news is that in Jesus, you don't have to try to achieve some sta- status, you receive a new status, don't you? And remember, we talked from going from death to life. And it wasn't just that I'm no longer dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm made alive in Jesus Christ. What we further discovered last week is that with this new status comes a new identity. That you and I have been given a new identity in Jesus. Now we oftentimes forget don't we? We, we? we think we're one thing and, and we feel the pressure of our sin and our shame and our struggle in life. But Paul wanted us to remember, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. In fact, 216 times, remember? He says, no, no, no. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. You are redeemed. You are adopted. You are a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ. And, and you're supposed to live out of that new identity that you've received in Jesus Christ. And so it was a foundation really last week that got laid that that helped us to understand that Jesus didn't just die for me so that I could avoid hell. Jesus died for me. Yes, I avoid hell because of the, the, the gift of grace that I received in him, his forgiveness, but there's so much more. And so something that happened in the past 
doesn't just affect my future, it actually affects my today. And this is what Paul was trying to help his readers to understand. You have a new status, you have a new identity. It ought to fundamentally transform the way you and I live our lives. We're a part of a much bigger story. And so that shifts our mindset because it's no longer just about me hanging on, trying to get to heaven. It's about me partnering with God in the here and now. Like today and tomorrow and the way I raise my kids and the way I interact with my wife and the way that I work and the way that I interact with my neighbors and the community that we get to live like Jesus lived in the here and now. And so we have this new identity. Now, I got a question for you as I kind of dive into this week. How many of you love getting gifts? Now, come on, be honest, you're in church. Come on, how many of you, you can shout at the preacher, how many of you love getting gifts? Yeah? I mean, gift giving is awesome. For some of you, it's actually your love language. How many of you would say, gift giving is my love language? If you want to love me, get me a gift. By the way, I have an Amazon wish list. Uh, just feel free to go there. Be awesome. But, but gift giving, and I, I happen to have one here that I'm actually, I think I'm going to give it away. And, uh, and so who really likes gifts? Anybody? Oh, there we go. We got, a, we got, we got somebody over here. They, these guys' hands, they, there might be, there's two gifts in there, so you guys might have to share it. And, and, and you can, you'll see what's in there. You can open it up later. Don't open it up right now because everyone will get distracted, right? But we love gift giving, don't we? And in America, or in a modern-day culture, gift-giving uh, is this idea that, man, when you give a gift, you are giving a gift with no strings attached. Isn't that right? Like, we tend to give gifts, right, because it's your birthday, it's your anniversary, I just love you, babe, right? I was just thinking about you, and I wanted to buy you something, right? Like, that's how we tend to think about gift-giving in our culture. And that is a good and healthy way to think about it, right? Because we give a gift with no kind of like, well, they better give me a gift back. No, well, if I'm honest, sometimes I do do that, right? Come on, we do that, don't we really? Like, that's the selfish, carnal part of us, right? But here's what's interesting. In the ancient world, gift giving was a little bit different. In fact, gift giving in the ancient world had with it this idea of reciprocity. In other words, when I give a gift, there's an expectation that there was something in return. And the expectation, the something in return, was that if I give you a gift, that there was an expectation that there would be a return in relationship. Right? So oftentimes we give gifts because there's some sort of relationship that exists. But what Paul would, or, or what the ancients would understand is that when they were giving a gift, they would give a gift with the expectation that there would be a return, a relationship, that, that as I give this gift, that it creates the opportunity for you and I to have some sort of relationship. And the expectation is, hey, we're going to become friends. We're going to kind of journey through life together. Like we're going to, there's going to be something that, that's given back in receipt of that gift. Now, here's what's really interesting. The Greek word for grace in the New Testament is this little word, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And kairos is, was really in Greek, doesn't just mean grace, it means gift. And, and so when Paul is writing, in fact, he says this a couple of times in Ephesians chapter 2, he says in verse 5, it's by grace you have been uh, saved. And then he doubles down on it in verse 8, and he says, listen, it's by grace 
that you have been saved. In other words, that, that little Greek word of, for grace is actually gift. It's by this gift that God gives you that you have been saved. And we know because we read parts of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 last week where it's like not by your works, not by your effort that you've been saved. No, it's by the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, this gift that he gives you called grace. But to the readers, to the Ephesians who would have been listening to this read aloud and they would have heard this word gift, what would have registered in their mind is, well, when a gift's given, there's something that's expected back. And what Paul was trying to help them to understand is that you're not just saved to avoid hell. This gift that you have been given by the grace of God was so designed that you would return it in relationship with him and relationship with his family. Isn't that a powerful thought? That, that what God has done through, for us through Jesus Christ wasn't just that we would avoid something, wasn't just that we would get to a happy place in the future. What God has done through Jesus Christ is a gift of grace, and that gift of grace is so that we might have relationship with him and with his family. Now, remember last week we read this verse, it was in Ephesians, we read through uh, Ephesians 1, we covered a lot of ground last week, um, but Ephesians 1, 17 through 22, uh, and last week this was describing what Jesus has done, but we finished with this verse where it says in, in chapter, or verse 22 of chapter 1, and God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him head over everything, and then this curious little phrase, for the church, for the church. And so all that Jesus has done, all that he did in living for us, in dying for us, in being resurrected, ascending to heaven, seated at the right hand of his heavenly father, all of that was done for the sake of the church. What is it that Paul is intending for us to understand and grasp out of this little passage? Well, I think it's got something to do with grace and it's got something to do with relationship. Because God, what we're going to discover this week, and I so love that this is happening on Child Dedication Sunday, is that what we're going to discover is that God is building a new family through Jesus Christ. That God didn't just send Jesus to save you individually. God sent Jesus to form a new family. And what we're discovering and what we'll discover today is that that new family is called the church. And so here's what I want us to do. We're going we're gonna to do a little Bible study today. Is that okay? Okay, we're in church, so we probably should use the Bible, right? So if you've got your Bible or you've got an iPhone or an iPad or whatever, can you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2? And we're going to read, wait for it, 11 verses. <gasps> in church, oh my goodness. It's going to be amazing. And there are 11 consecutive verses, like not random verses. They're actually all connected. And I'm just going to read them. We're going to unpack them a little bit. We're going to take a look at what is it that Paul was trying to communicate to these readers and to us about this new community, this new family called the church. And this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, therefore... Okay, let's stop right there. 
We didn't get very far, did we? Lock the doors, it's gonna be two hours. Um, I'm kidding, it won't be that. But therefore, right, some of you are English teachers or you know, you're English majors or you just can speak English really well, which is much better than I can do. But it, therefore is a conjunctive adverb, right? And so it's like this hinge word that connects everything that was just said to what's about to be said. And so what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 is, therefore, based on everything that I have just said, everything that I've described what Jesus has done for you, this new status, this new identity, you're adopted, right? This gift of grace that was intended for you to have relationship with me and with my family. Based on all of that stuff, therefore, and here's a really important word, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. We'll not talk about that or unpack that. Um, go read about that on Google. But he goes on and he says this in verse 12. He, he says, and look, he's using this word remember again. Remember we talked about this last week. Why would Paul repeat himself so often? Because it's important and we always forget. And he goes on, he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ or separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. He goes on in verse 13 uh, and says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were, were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now let me unpack that just for a second. The two groups that are one, you know, we, we deal with a lot of division, uh, a lot of like kind of this in our culture. And it, honestly, it pales in comparison to what was taking place during this time. And uh, what Paul's referring to, in fact, when you read through the whole letter, you realize that Paul is referring to the Jews, right? So that's this curious kind of Old Testament group of people that God seems to have some sort of relationship with, and we'll unpack that in a minute, and what he calls the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are non-Jews. That's everybody else. In fact, the word Gentile was actually, it was a derogatory term. It was coined by the Jews to describe all the people that weren't as good and special as they were. Right? And so that's not, a good, that's not really a good foundation to build healthy bonds and relationship, right? And so these people were at war with each other. And then even within the Gentiles, you had the Greeks and the Romans and the Scythians and the barbarians, whatever that is, right? And so there's all of this division that's going on. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying that through Jesus Christ, he's the one that brings everyone together. And he brings everyone together with a new identity. And he goes on and he says this, he says in verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations, he purposed, so let me, let me clarify that. Was Jesus setting aside like the 10 commandments, the law in the Old Testament? No, he wasn't doing that. He was setting aside the Torah. There was some 600 rules that the Jews had kind of created that if man, you're, if you obey all of these rules, you're righteous. You're in good standing with God because of your effort. And what Paul is saying here is all of that was fulfilled and set aside by what Jesus Christ has done. And he goes on and he says this in verse, uh-oh, where's my spot? There we are. He goes on and, and he says this, his purpose, so in other words, based on all of this that Jesus has done, his purpose was to create in himself 
one new humanity. Out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, he reconciled both, to them, both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, right? So far away, those were the Gentiles, those who were near, those were the Jews. And for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so we started by talking about this idea of this gift, a gift that would set up relationship, not just with God, but with one another, And do you notice that in Paul's writings, not just that he's talking about my relationship with God, he's talking about my relationship with the body of Christ, with this new humanity or this new family that God's creating. Now, I realize that we just read 11 verses, and that's like a lot. There were some touchy subjects in there, circumcision being one of them, right? And and so what is it that Paul was trying to help these believers understand. Paul was really appealing to the Hebrew scriptures, to the Old Testament. And so I'm gonna, I've got a whiteboard here. This is like, um, who, who, who's the guy with the big fuzzy hair? Bob Ross? Yeah, I'm not Bob Ross, so we're not going to do that. But I can draw stick figures, so that's really good. But here's what I want to do. I want to draw something that I think might help us understand what it is Paul was trying to help us understand about this gift of grace and what it has done, not just for our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other. What is it that God was up to in this passage? Like as Paul's writing this in the Old Testament. And so we recognize, and hopefully you'll be able to see this, and if not, they've got the camera, and I'm gonna try and draw it big enough so you can see it. Um, This right here is creation. Doesn't that look, I should have drawn trees and all of that kind of stuff. So God created humanity, right? He created two, two people. Who are they? There you go, right? Which is human and life. And so God created Adam and Eve. And when he created them, was it a happy face or a sad face? Was it? Happy face. Oh, you guys are a smart church. You know, that's awesome. Some people go, oh, I don't know. It might have been a sad face. No, no, no. Sin hadn't entered the world. And so everything was absolutely perfect. In fact, God was in perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with him. And and they were partnering together. In fact, God gave them a mandate, right? That he said, I'm going to bless you. And I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth with the glory of God and with the goodness of God. That was their mandate. Now, what we understand is that, is that that lasted, oh, probably about two, two and a half pages in your Bible, right? And then it all went sideways, didn't it? It was, like, it was like all of a sudden everything comes to a screeching halt because Adam and Eve, instead of filling humanity, instead of filling the earth with the goodness of God, they chose autonomy from God, independence from God. They chose to, uh, to value themselves and their own purpose above God and his purposes. And as a result, what happened, I'm going to do my little uh, cartoon kind of kapow, right? What entered the world? Sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world because of Adam and Eve's choice, our parents, uh, the parents of the human race, when they chose their self over God, they chose autonomy from God. When sin entered the world, the Bible and the verses that we just read make it clear that what happened was that humanity 
got splintered, fractured, broken, divided into, well, if I could draw seven billion individual lines, I would draw that. Because what happened as a result of sin was that humanity fractured into a million different people. So the Bible says it this way, that each one did what was right in their own eyes. They pursued their own version of life, liberty, and happiness. It was like, I'm just going to pursue whatever I want to pursue. It's about me, myself, and I. And isn't that true? Isn't that what sin does? Sin, another synonym for sin is this idea of selfishness, that it's just about me. It's just about whatever. And what sin always does is it always breaks, it always fractures, it always splinters uh, and divides humanity. But what Paul and what the, Bible's te- what the Bible teaches us, what the Hebrew scriptures teaches us is that God chose one family. Does anyone remember the person, the father of that family? Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons, right? Many sons had Father Abraham. See, I, I know where all my church people are now. They're all sitting over this way, right? Anyway, so, so he chose this, this person, and this is how God works. He chooses one individual that through that one individual, a family would be born. And that family would, would become this tribe or this nation called Israel. Now, is Israel morally superior than any of the rest of humanity? Now, I'm not talking about the nation of Israel that you think about today. I'm talking about the Old Testament, right? Like, is Israel, Israel's not morally superior, right? This Old Testament family, in fact, what's so interesting when you read the Old Testament is that you see this family that God bound himself to through a covenant that he made with Abraham, and then he made it with Isaac, and he made it with Jacob, and he made it with the nation of Israel, he made it with David, he, made it, he makes this covenant, he says, I'm binding myself to you, and I'm going to be faithful to you, even if you don't remain faithful to me. And what we discover when you read through the Old Testament is that they weren't faithful to God. They were always straying. They were always, in fact, they were supposed to, remember the promise that God made to Abraham is I'll bless you and you're going to be a blessing. Who to? All the nations of the world. Through this covenant relationship that God made with this family, the the rest of the world was supposed to encounter the God of creation. But Israel was always straying. Israel wasn't morally superior There was nothing unique or special just about Israel in and of itself other than the fact that God bound himself in a covenant to that particular family. And we read, when you read through the Old Testament, you realize, man, there were many people who were a part of Israel that, man, they just apostated. They just turned their back on God and walked away. You also realize in the Old Testament that there were people who were outside of Israel that were, you can read this, grafted into Israel, right, or grafted into this covenant relationship. They trusted and believed in God and his promise that someday through this family, a rescuer would come. And we know that to be true, don't we? We know that this is what Paul is helping us understand, that there was a Messiah, which is just, remember, another word for king. There was a Messiah that came. His name was Jesus. And it was through this family, right, that the Messiah would be born. God was faithful to his covenant that through one family, a rescuer would come. And through that rescuer, King Jesus, every nation on earth 
could be blessed. Every nation, every person, every tongue, every tribe could come to know God through this King Jesus. When we understand this is what Jesus did, didn't it? That Jesus came, he lived the life that you and I would never live. And he died the death that actually you and I deserved. And he goes to the cross. And what Paul is saying in this passage that we have just read, and what he says throughout the book of Ephesians, in fact, throughout all of his writings, that it's in Jesus that everything, every tribe, every family, every human being, through Jesus, can, back, can come back to this original purpose, to be in relationship with God and to partner with God to accomplish his purposes. And so there's this opportunity, and this is what Paul is saying, is that you and I, if we come to the cross and we come through the cross, we have an opportunity to receive this gift of grace which isn't just, oh great, I avoid hell or I get to go to heaven. No, no, no. It's a gift of grace. It's an invitation into relationship with the God of the universe. Doesn't that sound like what happened back here in Genesis? God created them for relationship. He created them for purpose. It wasn't just to avoid something. It wasn't just to try to get somewhere. And God is saying that through Jesus Christ, all of humanity has the opportunity to encounter this relationship with God. But it doesn't finish there. Because what we just read, that God's purpose was that through Jesus, he might create one new humanity. Through the cross, if you're willing to go through the cross, doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, educated, uneducated, male, female. Paul addresses all of this. He says it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you are willing to go through the cross, if you're willing to accept what Jesus has done for you, you're not only welcomed into relationship with Jesus. In fact, God's purpose is that he's creating a new kind of humanity, a new family And that family is called the church. And here's the beauty of what we recognize in Paul's writings. It's not that the church, all of a, all of a sudden, we, we become sort of some sort of beige version of humanity. Does that make sense? You know beige, it's like bland and boring. No, 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 what comes through the cross is, man, I have a new identity. My identity is in Christ. It's, it's not based on the tribe that I come from. It's not based on the jeans that I wear, the kind of coffee that I drink, the kind of music that I listen to, right? It's not based on my race or my ethnicity. No, no, no. My new identity and the formation of this new community is centered around Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't matter about my background, where I come from. What God's up to is he is forming one new humanity, a new family that's identity is formed around Christ, but here's what I love. I love that what Paul helps us to understand is the rich diversity that God actually has created passing through the cross is now all submitted to this new identity that I'm in Christ. But there's such diversity and richness that, that it passes through. That God takes all of us who are all different from one another. We all have different personalities and different viewpoints and different things that make us excited and passionate about life, right? And all of that passing through the cross, our first and foremost identity is I'm in Christ. That's what brings us together as a new family. But 
all of the rich diversity of creation and who God has made us to be, male and female and the journeys that we go through life, all of that is in this new family, but it's all submitted to Jesus. It's all submitted to this identity that we have in Christ. Now, I know, I feel like I just hooked a fire hose up to your mouth and said, take a drink. And I understand that this is a lot, but what Paul is trying to help us understand that this gift of grace that you have received in Jesus Christ is, is not a gift to avoid or to get somewhere. And yes, it's unmerited, it's unearned. There's absolutely nothing that you could have done to receive that gift. God, out of the goodness of his heart and who he is, has given you this gift of grace. But he's given you this gift of grace so that you might enter into relationship with God, but also relationship with this new family that God is creating called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God. God's invited us through this gift of grace to be in relationship. In fact, this is what Paul says is the result of all of this. So all that he's just unpacked, he says, this is the result of it all. He says, consequently, in verse 19, you're no longer foreigners and strangers and fellow citizens with God, um, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And the Greek word there is, you're members of his family. And so what Paul is saying is that the result of all of this is that all of this, Remember, I keep telling you that we're living out God's story, and God's story starts an eternity past in the heart of God, and it finds expression here on earth, and it's lived out, and we recognize that you know, the enemy tried to subvert it and divert it and distract it and, and destroy it, but what Jesus has done has given us this reinstatement of God's original purpose. And what Paul says here in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, that as a result of all of this, you're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers. And, and I moved here, you guys know this, I moved here 31 years ago, and even though I speak English, barely, um, I, it, it was strange when I first came. You guys have the weird things that you do. You have like weird words that you use, right? And I would use the word, like I would use the word that I was used to and I would use it in a different context and people would look at me kind of funny, you know, and I had some people that loved me enough to kind of go, hey, you probably shouldn't say that word here. That's going to get you in trouble. Oh, I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger, right? But look what Paul says. He says, you're not a, an alien, right? You're not a foreigner. You have been made because of the cross of Christ, because of the resurrection of Jesus, you have been made a citizen, right? It's, look what it says. A citizen with God's people. Paul, I think, is trying to make a point here. He says, you're not just a citizen who's connected to the king of kings. You're a citizen who's connected to God's people. And he's wanting us to understand. My, my daughter, um, she's uh, going to be moving to the UK. And because I'm from that part of the world and I'm a UK citizen, she was able to go get her passport which means that when she moves to the UK this fall to go do her master's, she's going to be able to get a job. She's going to be able to get free health care. She's going to be taken care of. Why? Because she's considered a citizen, not a foreigner. 
And what Paul is trying to help us understand is because of the work of Jesus, you, and because of this gift of grace, you have a relationship with God, but you also have a relationship with one another, which means, and if you think about citizenship, what, there are privileges, but there are also responsibilities. And so we, as the followers of Jesus, have the privilege, right, the rights, the, the benefits of being a citizen, but we also have the responsibilities, don't we? But this is what I love about Paul. Paul doesn't just finish with, yeah, 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 you're a citizen. Paul goes on and he says, no, 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 you're a member of God's family. And so you're not some disconnected individual who has citizenship rights, right? You have the passport or the birth certificate that gives you rights and privileges. No, he's saying, no, 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 beyond that, you're a member of God's family, that you are a brother and you are a sister. Now, this would have been really disruptive to the church in Ephesus because the Jews hated the Gentiles, right? Remember, like, like you think about citizenship, like the, the Roman Empire had really defined what citizenship was and, and the Jews were really pr proud of their citizenship of, of Israel or the Jewish nation, Right? And so it was about them and nobody else. And what Paul is saying here, he says, you're not just a citizen, you're members one of another. In other words, hey, you, you Jews and you Gentiles, you're actually blood relatives. In fact, when it says that he took down the dividing wall, there was a dividing wall in the, in the, in the temple in Jerusalem that was called the Gentile wall. And there was, they found inscription on it, which basically say, hey, if you go beyond, if you're a Gentile and you go beyond this wall, you will be killed. That sounds like hatred to me, doesn't it? <laughs> like, like, can you imagine coming into our church and, you know, if you were a certain kind of group of people, you can have one and you weren't a certain group of people, right? Like, this is what was going on here. And what Paul is saying is he says, no, 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 you're not just not a foreigner. You're not just a citizen with rights and privileges. You are blood relatives, one of another. That's not how it was in the past, but it is now. Why? Because you, not just individually, you collectively have a new identity. You know what that is? You're a member of God's family. You're a member of God's house. And what does that mean? What is it that Paul wants us to understand? It's simply this, that we have access to God, our Father. When you're a family member, I'll be in meetings, uh, and it doesn't matter how important the meeting is. When my kids call me, everything goes on hold. And I'm sure it's the same for you as parents if you've got kids that are a little bit older, right? Why? Because I'm their dad and they're my kids. There's no more important relationship. And what God is, or what Paul is trying to help us understand is that when he says you're a member of God's family, you have a father in heaven who you have access to. In fact, it actually says this in Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne by grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You're actually, you, you ought to operate in this new identity of being a family member. You have access to God. You ought to be confident. No, not arrogant. Confident. Going into God's presence. Believing that he hears you, that he knows you, that he's going to respond to you. And the last thing that Paul wants us to understand this is that we have a privilege and a responsibility then to care for one another. That 
all that Jesus has done from, a, from way back in creation, his original intent and sin that tried to destroy the purpose of God, tried to destroy our relationship with him and, G, and God having the wisdom to bind himself in a covenant to one family that through that one family, a rescuer, a Messiah, a king who would come, not just so that you and I could be saved, but so that you and I could be brought into a new family and a new family that gives us access to God, our father. But it also requires of us the responsibility, indeed the privilege of caring for one another. And the New Testament kind of envisions followers of Jesus alongside one another for the sake of one another. There's, I don't think, too many other places, in fact, I don't think there's really any place at the depth and the design that God desired it where you are going to find the kind of partnership the kind of investment, the kind of, we're in each other's corner, guys. Why? Because we're blood relatives. The blood of Christ has bought us with a price. And that we are now brothers and sisters in Jesus. Look, look what it says in Ephesians. Paul wrote this to, or sorry, Galatians chapter 6. Paul wrote this to the church in Galatia. And, and look, look how he starts. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Christ gives us this privilege, but this responsibility of caring for one another. And historically, we've maybe, as a church in America, not done the best job of that. But I think that what God is doing today, and I know what God is doing in our church, and I know the deepening sense. It's why small groups are so important to us. It's my just being together, doing life together is so important to us. Not because, oh yeah, community is kind of a buzzword and that's important and I want to have some friends. No, 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 no. What Paul wanted us to understand is that it's not just your relationship with Jesus, it's your relationship with one another that helps you become who Jesus has called you to become. And so here's what I want us to do. I don't even know if I have a band. I don't know if I have music playing from the back. It's like the Ross way we're just going to end it. But how many of you would say today, that makes sense? How many of you would say, I get it? It's not just my relationship with God. Like, God's inviting me into his family. This gift of grace was so that I have relationship one with another, that I'm looking out for one another. And so I want to have us just uh, maybe stand to our feet and just close our eyes for a minute. And I want us just to reflect uh, just upon God's word to us this morning through Ephesians. And there's two responses, just as you close your eyes and just lock yourself in with Jesus. There's, there's two responses that I feel like the Lord would maybe just put his finger on our hearts. And the first one is that there might be some people in the room today that, man, maybe you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus where there's a new status. That you've moved from death, oh no, I'm in life now. And I'm life, not because of my efforts, not because of my, no, I'm in life because of this gift that God gives me in Jesus. And the gift is this, is that, that we are 
free of sin, that we are made righteous in Christ. And it's a free gift. And so maybe today in this room, there's some folks that, man, you're just saying, I want that new status. I need that new identity. Man, I've tried in my own strength, tried to be the best person that I could be. And compared to some other people, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But honestly, compared to God's holiness, compared to God's demand of perfection and holiness from us, man, we all fail. In fact, the Bible says it this way, we all fall short of God's glory. We all sin. But there's a gift. And man, if that's you this morning and you're just saying, I want that gift of grace to have relationship with Jesus, to be forgiven of my sin and, and to be adopted into his family and, and this life that we can have, this new identity, would you just slip your hand up and just say, man, that's me. And it's as much just for Jesus this morning that you're saying, I'm doing that. I want that new life. If that's you, slip your hand up this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And here's what it says. The Bible teaches us just that we're to confess our sin. We're just to put our trust in Jesus. Now, of course, none of us can confess all of our sin, but we're just saying, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for choosing autonomy from you, for walking my own path. And today, I'm coming home. Today, you welcome me as a son and as a daughter because I'm forgiven my sin. 